0: Now on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, triathlete Mabio Costa, born with a congenital condition that stunted the growth of his left foot, he has lived much of his life with a prosthetic limb on his left leg. This 50-plus elite athlete continues to compete in his class and inspires anyone who encounters him. Since becoming a U.S. citizen in 2001, Mabio has competed with Team USA multiple times, and continues to challenge himself physically and mentally. It is our pleasure to welcome to the Amped Up 211 podcast, Mr. Mabio Costa.
1: Mabio, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) hope I didn't
0: scare you there. (laughs) So great to have you on the show, Mabio. And where are you at the moment? Where are, I, It looks like you're at work.
1: Yeah, today's it's, it's a busy Friday here for us at uh, POA Orlando. So, absolutely, you know, it's a happy Friday, as always. And, and tell the audience what
0: you do with POA.
1: Well, I am a prosthetic technician, but I work on the liner uh, uh, making and uh, making sure that, that we have uh, the good fitting for uh, all the liners that we make here. Wow. Custom liners.
0: Very, very critical part of the process uh, are those liners. Um, I can speak. Uh, I can speak to that as well, given that I'm an amputee like yourself. Uh, walk us through that process a little bit. T- tell us. Tell us what you're looking for usually in that process with your patients.
1: Well, first of all, they're never going to tell you that. But my job is the most important one here, and I'll explain to you the reason uh once we have the patient you know we cast the patient for a new liner and uh that cast comes to me i have to uh, uh scan that cast send to the computer make sure that uh once that uh it's made you know it's gonna fit well i have to create the male and the female side so once we pour the silicone in between and eight hours later it's cured uh if my job is not done well we have a lot of uh, patients out of state, out of the country. If I don't do my job well, next day when they fit that liner, if it doesn't fit well, we lost 24 hours. Mm. So it's very important that the liner fits at the first fitting. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble. But I've been doing this for 14 years. And uh, we that's what I say. The liner, the custom liners that we make, uh, it is like your second skin. You got to be right over and you gotta be feeling, you know, amazing with that liner. Cannot be too tight, cannot be too loose, but has a, you know, a way that is gonna make you feel a way that you never had before with custom liners.
0: Yeah, and and so many amputees, myself included, uh, I do not wear a custom liner. You know, I've I've worn a standard liner, and I I wouldn't say have struggled with it. However, if I was to ever attempt some of the things that you do when we talk about triathlons and going the distance, so to speak, no way, man. I, I, I would absolutely never make it with the liner I'm wearing because, you know, where I notice, uh, let's call it margin or, uh, uh, you know, um, when things get bunched up, as we say, with liners... Usually that comes from high-level activity, and then you're constantly resetting that liner, right? Because it's—I it, it, mean, you know, these are expensive things, so, so there is some technology in them. However, they are not truly fitted to all the nuances of your residual limb.
1: And as you know, you know, in, in activity that you do, you know, as you go minute by minute, hour by hour— your volume decrease. Yes. And if you have nothing that was really made for you in that point, that means you're going to be losing a lot of there. Absolutely. And that's the about the custom liner. Although I must say that I have a lot of friends in South America, I'm originally from Brazil, uh, that they have they use off-the-shelf liners. And that's the only thing that they have. So they gotta do it. It is doable, but of course, to a higher level you gotta go custom, there's no other way, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, there is no other way, I would agree. And that's what I hear in the community. I've done some reading on you and I appreciate your transparency in your website. I appreciate how you put yourself out there on social media. You are an inspiration to us all and your history as an amputee is rich and it's it's full of uh, massive you know, accomplishments. And especially given that you and myself, uh, although most people wouldn't think we're the same age, they'd look at me and go, "Well, that's the old guy," and then Mavio's the young guy. Um, we are about the same age, so I look, I look at you, and of course, I think, "Well, shit, man, anything's possible." I mean, this guy's my age, and look what he's doing, you know. So um, I appreciate that, but. At the same time, I'm fascinated by your history as an amputee, where you're from, because of course I I, I have friends that you know like yourself, be, you know, became U.S. citizens but were born in Brazil, and um, I I think where I want to start the interview is going going back to that 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 12 year old Mabio that found out he's going to lose part of his limb. And, you know, obviously in, in, in our fifties, we remember, I feel like I remember certain things from my childhood, 12 years old, seems like an awfully long time ago. Um, but what, what do you recall? I mean, when you, when you reflect uh, on those moments when your life changed in that regard, I mean, what, what process do you go through in your mind?
1: You got to remember something that uh, back in the days, back in Brazil, everybody had a dream. Every kid that grew up had a dream. Oh, I want to be a soccer player. I want to have a Ferrari when I grow up. I want to have a, you know, I want to be famous. My only dream, as I grow up, was to be able to wear two sneakers. Believe it or not.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I was I was born as you as you read on my uh, you know I'm very open about everything is that I was born with a am uh, I did uh, you know was a, a a birth defect so I have the left foot with only two toes but from the knee down it never grew so that's when the problem started um, then when my mom changed the doctor and what the young doctor said no let's cut that off because that's going to be much better. And he said that straight in our face. And my first question was, would I be able to use shoe sneakers? And he said yes. So I said, let's do it. That's my dream. Let's let's have that done. You know. And again, we're talking about back in the eighties, now. And um, it it was something that uh, I knew that uh, would be better for me back then. You know. Yeah. And and passing through this whole time, you know, and and now going back to the liners, and sometimes I see a patient or other you know uh, complaining about a little bit on the liner and I was like brother back in the 80s we had no liners was the club directing there as I did everything else of yeah. course things change for better but uh yes growing up and, and and going back to the age it's hard to look at the mirror and 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 say mob you are 55. I don't feel like that my body doesn't feel like that yeah and remember I stopped racing for nine years because, you know, I did everything. I represent Team USA many times. And there was a time I said, no, that's enough. My body, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking too much. And then one day my daughter came to me and said, Dad, I never saw you racing. And I said, well, so let me train two months and let's do a race, a local race.
0: Yeah.
1: And it felt amazing that doing that race, you know, and, and crossing the finish line and being so close to my PR. I said, well, oh, let's keep on doing
0: So, yeah, and that's, I mean, you know, I get choked up when I hear people's stories that involve inspiration that's drawn from their children, you know, something that their kids had hoped for or wanted, you know, so much of my personal comeback in my life had a lot to do actually with my granddaughter. I was, you know, going through a number of surgeries, obviously ended up losing a limb too uh in my 40s but the thing that kept me going was at the time my my granddaughter had just been born she had oh. never she had never met me um she didn't know me but there's that feeling of well what do I want to leave behind will my granddaughter look at a picture and say oh yeah that's that's my grandpa that's my mom's dad i, I never knew him he he left this place before I ever got a chance to know him. And I kept saying to myself, well, no, no, no. I want this person to know me. I want her to ask me questions, to get to know me, to know me beyond just maybe a face on a photograph, to, see, to, see, to have my granddaughter come up to me and say, hey, Grandpa, do you mind if I play with your robot leg? <laughs> and then Briceless. exactly Briceless. and then run off with my leg, right, and the family's laughing, and that's you know a wonderful moment to be able to experience that and say, "Okay, I did it. I got to meet her, she's part of my life. She will remember me more than just some vague you know person or memory or something um so yeah when 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 children are involved but going back to you growing up in brazil and experiencing life as a young amputee and so many of these stories that i'm fascinated by like your own are people that i i refer to and i think you sort of fit this category of lifers let's call them that this has just been a part of their life for a very long time mm-hmm. but but trying to understand Because let's face it, when I was young, and you may have been different, because you 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 definitely seem like an extrovert to me. Um, I I was a very shy kid. You know, I struggled to make friends. I struggled to get to know people. I was very insecure. So I always think to myself: Let's say I had lost a limb during those formative years of trying to figure out who you are Mm -hmm. and you're sort of managing that difference from everyone and i mean i don't know what the technology was like when you were 12. i don't know necessarily what the healthcare system looked like in brazil when you were 12. i mean the friends that i do have from brazil Mm -hmm. i mean they talk about certain aspects of that system, let's call it, that were pretty antiquated. I mean, like pretty screwed up. And, and still like, Well, there and you go. Like well, there you go. So, so can you help the listeners understand what that experience was like? I mean, growing up Brazil, you're 12 years old, you're losing a limb, you know, um what what did all that feel like for for Mabio?
1: Uh, one thing that I, I, I must say, is, you know, I am the person that I am today because of my mom. My mom was the one, my mom was a nurse back in Brazil, and she never treated me as a, um, a disabled person, okay? And one thing that I always make fun of myself before people start making fun of myself. So it's, uh, by the time that I had my leg amputated and I put my first prosthesis was the time that we have uh, the $6 million uh, that was showing on TV. So in Brazil, it was a big thing. It was a nine o'clock Monday, Monday night, uh, 9 p.m., and everybody was watching. So the so $6 million
0: every- man was the show. Yes, it was the show, you know, with Steve Majors. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, you know, so I'll tell you, I, I keep on trying to reach out to him, and I have to reach out to him because I must say that the easy childhood that I have was because of that show. Every time that you're going to play, oh, let's bring Mario, the $6 million man, was me. Yeah. And, and every time that I, I you know, that uh, I was making fun of me before people make fun of me. And I was uh, very open about my problem, let's say that. And, uh, you know, and again, back in Brazil, back in the 80s, uh my first leg was made of uh, wood, plastic, and uh whatever they found in there. And of course, Back at the day, you walked in. They make the measure. They they made the measurements. Next a week later, you come back. They put it on. Goodbye. That same day in the afternoon, I was playing soccer. But you gotta remember that before that, I used something that really helped me out to walk, but was very heavy. So having a, a, a much lighter was much easier for me. Hmm. Uh, first, amputee uh, 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 to walk. Uh, in a shopping mall in my city. My city is called Goiania. It's a capital of the state of Goiás. That state is like an hour and a half from Brasilia. And uh, everybody was looking at me like, oh, who is that guy? Who is that kid without a leg and walking shorts? Because back then was when the, everybody went, started to go into the malls to shopping to meet people. And I was like, so everybody in my city, 2 million people, Everybody, I won't say everybody, but everybody knew who was one leg guy. It was me. Yeah. Because that's the only guy, the only kid that was walking in shorts. Yeah. Again, it was never a problem for me. For me, the problem was when I was not noticed for what I was doing. And I knew what I was doing all the time. And that was my main goal, was to show that, listen, here I am. That's who I am. That's who uh, I look like. And that's how you're going to get it.
0: So, yeah. And that's, I think that's, I mean, let's face it. It's, it's very much could even be served as great advice in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at self-deprecating humor, especially as I get older. Uh, I'm like, I feel really young. And then I take my shirt off and I realize I'm not really young anymore. Um, but. You know, and it's like the hair thing, you know, I mean, you and I, I mean, we have the same barber, you know, so right, right. Let it shine, I always say. Uh, So I I, I think that offers a lot in that space of, let's say, a parent, someone that is, you know, uh, has a child that is going through an amputation for some reason and trying to understand what components make all of that tolerable. Um, I know, uh, you know, POA specifically uh, helps all kinds of children. So um, incredible organization. So the other thing I go to is given that, let's say the technology in the 80s was somewhat antiquated, what were you able to do? And were your activity levels such that you you know, how long did it take, and I'm trying to phrase this correctly, how long did it take for you to get to a point where you felt like, hey, I, you know i'm I mean i'm I'm athletic. like I can do things as an amputee, and I, I, I think I could pursue m- maybe becoming a world class athlete. I think that's possible. And when when does that light bulb go off?
1: Well, I, I I always was a swimmer. Okay, I used to swim since the age of seven, and even back then, because you know, in, in my city, in Bra- especially in, in Brazil, that's when the whole uh, Paralympic thing started. Back then, and uh, I was always able to beat able bodies, able body kids. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was pretty good in the water. Okay. And, and, you know, once you, you, you're you born Brazilian, they think that you should play soccer. No matter what. If you don't have legs, you don't, if you're blind, whatever, you have to play soccer. Yeah. And, and that, that's why we all have so many soccer players, although our team sucks lately. <laughs> but uh, the point is that when I put my leg on, you know, my, my first uh, put this on, and uh, I started playing soccer and I saw, I mean, playing soccer and doing everything, and I knew how light it was in comparison to what I used to have. And the amazing thing is that as I started playing soccer and I started playing against able-bodied kids, things changed in the sense that they're like, oh, you cannot do that. Or maybe you cannot do this. Or no, maybe you cannot be playing forward all the time. And actually they are pushing me to do that. And that's when I started being, you know what? Let me start running. Let me do this, let me do that. And running for me back then, it was painful. It was very, you know, there was no way that I could run, let's say, a mile or a mile and a half. That when I finished and I took my socks off because there was no liners back then again, it was blood, and takes me like three or four days to recover. Mm. So that was the, the bad side of it. Yeah. And when they started doing triathlons and uh, uh, eighty-five in Brazil, in Brasilia. And they said, well, there is no amputees that we know not doing triathlons. So I said, guess what? I'll be the first one. And I did. It was painful, and but I saw that I could open from there. And that was the main idea. We start doing the triathlon, and then I came out, I cannot be the only one doing this. I got to have more people to do this. And that's when the idea came out about triathlon the way that it is today.
0: Yeah, it's incredible when I hear about these stories of sort of suffering through the pain just because you didn't have the gear. We, di- we didn't have the custom liners. We didn't have some of the technologies that we have today. And for you to have been an amputee as long as you have and seen that evolution of technology and seen how far it's come, but not only that, you've employed it. You've, you've taken all of that education, all of that equipment, and you've applied it in real life. So when I talk to you, I think, well, this isn't just someone that figured out figured out how to be active. This is someone who actually understands the science behind how you become active, right? Because you see all the co- so if I came to you and I said, Well, you know, Mabio, um, you know, I wanna be able to run. You know, I I have a I've Done all my gait training. I can walk well. I can briskly walk. I can walk a five k. You know, I can. I I feel like that's my next step. I feel like you're the person I would I would reach out to, and say, okay, how do I go to the next level? Like, what is the next steps in that?
1: Correct. I I think that the the main thing that remembering back in the days when I was doing triathlon week after week. And I, I think that the, what you need to do the most is to put in your mind that you're able, you're capable of doing it. There is no way, and, 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 and I'll pay a million dollars for any amputee that comes to me today, including myself, that say, I run without pain. There is no such a thing. There is no way. Oh, well, no, I, I have an amazing life. As an amputee, I can do everything without pain. No, we can't. First of all, even for able bodies, if you don't have pain, that means you're not doing 100% of what you're supposed to do. In the bike, if you at the end of that ride, you're not feeling pain on your butt and your legs, means you have not done a very good ride. So everything is about pain. Now talking about an amputee, it's more pain than ever. But you have to learn how to live with that. You have to learn how to make that pain in a way that's not gonna be so painful that you can finish that five K, that you can finish that ten K in a better way.
0: Yeah, I think that's so so um truthful because let's face it, very often, you know, the higher performing amputees let's let's say uh the elite out there um the people that sort of project this very you know sexy marketable kind of look in terms of in terms of amputees it, there's a whole other camp of amputees people with limb differences that'll say uh you know those those, those people it comes easy to them and to hear someone like yourself say, w- w- no, it's really, really painful to go through these trials and to be able to train, to compete, and then know what to do in between those sequences of events to keep yourself in the game, to stay focused, and know how to, how to treat your body so that you can do it. Because so, so much of it comes down to that residual limb. And I think about someone like you who's doing everything that you are and that you've been an amputee for so long. I mean, I, I thought I saw you post something about your limb recently, but tell tell me tell me, you know what's a setback for you in in the in the in this now kind of today space what's a setback for you right now?
1: Uh, let me. see. I mean, uh, as you know, I stopped racing with amputees about a year and a half ago. So, in order to race with able bodies on my age group, I have to train much more than I used to do. Uh, My goal right now is to finish, uh, I should qualify for the nationals as a normal person. So, my training now is much more than when I was in my 30s, okay? Uh, Of course, we have problems. We have ungrowing hair. We have, uh, you know, a day that uh, there is a a rock that I didn't see and I stepped out with my blade. Little things that, you know, makes me, it sets back in the way of training. You know, and you're right. You saw something that because of the training, I, I shrink so much by Friday. Today, because of the whole training, today I have to start my running at least with a 10 ply no matter what, because of the training during the week. And let's say by any chance I decide, you know what, let me go to a seven ply or five ply. Knowing that I'm not supposed to do that, but I do sometimes, I hurt myself. Yeah. And, and the setback of two or three days waiting for that to heal kills me because I know in that same time, someone else is training more than I do. Mm. You know, but, you know, and again, what I believe now, is that uh, and amazingly lately I, I didn't know that because everybody said, "Oh, you inspire amputees, you inspire amputees," and I realized that eighty-five percent of the people that reach out to me are non-amputees. Every time that I pass someone on the race, because right now my five K is the strongest that I have ever, you know. And again, at age uh, 55, I can you know do the. I just did a 5K a couple of months ago at 2025, 20, you know. And uh, when I pass, you know, of course, in triathlon you, you lose some some time because of, you just came from a bike. So I can do a 23 at my age group, and I beat all able bodies on a 5K. And at the end, they come to me and say, "I couldn't catch up with you. What do you have? Does that give you an advantage?" So well, if you think it does, just cut your leg and try. It, right? <laughs> yeah. The idea is I know that I have my goal now is 2023, 2024. Two more years. Age 56, I will retire for good. I never retired though. Because oh, I thought you retired. I said, no, I never retired. I stopped racing, but I never retired. By the end of next year, my goal is to retire. Yeah. When it comes to amputees, and I have a lot of amputees uh, that no name, that, uh, you know, they are a, a part of the, uh, the USA team, and they come to me and said, what do you do? I want to be at your age doing what you do, 26, 27, 30 years, 30 years old. So at 55, I'm stronger than ever, and I believe that anyone can do. But in the same time, I want to something that you said, that was you know for us old people. There is no much no vision. For us. Like I do, I do, I do race every other week, and sometimes four times a week. I mean, four times a month. I'm sorry, four times a month. I have a, a race every weekend, and every race that I do. I can finish top five yeah. on, against able bodies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and again, people still look at me as an old guy trying to prove something. There is mm-hmm. nothing to be proved anymore. I'm just here showing that we can be here no matter how old you are, what, time of, uh, what type of amputation you have, you know, and, and, and that's, that's my main goal. Even though sometimes, you know, I know that people, you know, uh, uh, Get sponsorship from other people because they look nice, they look younger. Sure. And uh, I'm here fighting for my space in the sun, for my spot in the sun. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard because people look at me like, why am I going to sponsor you? You're old. Yeah. Yeah. Old, but I'm still doing everything and I'm still bringing people to the sport.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, there's, you're definitely, you're definitely what I would perceive as a unique commodity. And certainly, Mm Um, someone given that spotlight could really, really help so many understand that age is just a number, and it's really uh, uh, more about what's in your head and in your heart than it is anything else. Because so much of what you're describing is, it's it's being able to accomplish accomplish something through will, sheer will and grit. Um, and that's what I find most people that reach those milestones will say, um, it's, it's always me against myself. They're, they're, it's, it's all in my head and getting past those barriers is how I do that mentally. And that somehow carries my body, you know, through the rigors of pain through the rigors of soreness, you know, whatever you're experiencing um, in that space. And the thing I want to talk about, too, because as I'm getting older as well, I I find that um, there are two other components for me that seem to uh, be major, major uh, sort of Determining factors as to how good I feel on the on the daily, uh one is nutrition, and the other one is um the amount of sleep that I am getting because when I was young, you know my twenties, I did not need sleep. I could sleep three, four hours a night, go at it the next day, you know, work a full day, work out, go out with my friends, drink, okay get three or four hours of sleep and crank it right back up the next day. Whereas now as I've gotten older, that six, eight hours is almost like critical to me feeling recharged, refreshed, clear, and ready for the day. And then there's the nutritional piece, which um, I was not very, let's call it food sensitive when I was young. And there are certain foods now... That just honestly, Mabio, they just make me feel like shit. I mean, I don't yep. I don't feel good, you know? um, I'm a Chicago guy, you know, Chicago style pizza, beer,, um, you know, i I could I could tear through that stuff, and it never affected me. And <laughs> you know, as I've gotten older, there are just certain foods. They may taste good. Don't get me wrong. But within an hour, I'm thinking, what on earth have I done to myself?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, yes. like I, I, I have to lay down. And yes. that is not how you want to feel after a meal. Um, no. So, so for yourself, in the training piece and everything that you're doing, where do those two components fit in for you?
1: Well, I, I always really took care of everything. I, I love to sleep. You know, if there's two things that Brazilians love the most is steak and sleep, you know, there's beer as well. But I was never a a crazy guy for beer. I drink sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But uh, it's very important and always has been for me, my eight hours, no matter what. The other day, I mean, the other day, four days ago, I did. It was raining when I got home. It's Florida. It rains all the time. And I decided to run, uh, I started running at 8 o'clock. It was a 10-mile run. I finished by 9.30. I got home and I decided to eat because it was late. And I said, oh, let's eat. Of course, I, what I had was, uh, you know, most of the things that I ate was uh, uh, protein and then had some carbs. And for some reason, uh, my, my little girl, the youngest, put some uh, takis in there that she loves so much, you know, takis that are very... Uh, spicy thing and I decide to eat too just to make fun of her. Oh, daddy's gonna eat too. Why? Why have I done that? (laughs) It was a whole night of burning and, you know, but yes, you have to pay attention to everything that you eat. Especially after the age of 50. That's, you know, the one that we have to but one thing that I learned a lot about eating, and again, I eat a lot. I love to eat and, but The most, the thing that I see that when I talk to other athletes is that the the biggest problem for us is alcohol. If we drink too much, you know, and again, I drink on Sundays. You know, I have my barbecue, I have my Brazilian churrasco with my picanha, and I I drink one or two beers. No, you have to. But it is very important to take care of our body. And again, when I decide to come back as an athlete again, And again, I'm running faster than I ever did in my 30s. I'm doing everything. And sometimes I have friends that say, how can you, at 55, be faster than we were at 30s? It's a simple answer for that. At 55, I know that now is my time. I know that now is the time for training. So if it was before my 30s, if I get home, it's raining like it was, I'll do that tomorrow. Now, this time, I put my chair on my garage. I waited out, outside until the rain stopped. Mm. And up, I went. Because that's, the, as you said, it's the mind. You have to put the mind to do it. No matter how tired I am, like, you know, I, I can see many patients during the day. If I get there and I have to do my 20 miles bike, my 30 miles bike, even if it gets dark, I'm going to do it. It's the mindset that you can do it no no matter how old you are, you know? And again, why, since I have this mentality, why I'm stopping next year? Why am I retiring? I'm retiring off traveling. I'm retiring off, uh, you know, doing Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, but I'm going to keep doing my local races. I'm going to keep doing everything that I can around me because, makes me feel alive it makes me feel like you know i'm 55 but look at me you know i'm here and i'm beating you guys with two legs so you guys got to be better than that you know and that makes me feel better in the sense of taking more care of myself and again going back to the kids have a 13 and a a 10 years old i want to be here longer for them much longer yeah you know and that's the main thing why i keep on doing what i'm doing
0: you know, it's funny you say that. I was I was reading an article the other day, and they were talking about uh, you know indications of status or success, and they were comparing it by decade, and they were saying that back in the '80s, everything was about money. The only thing that was a prime indicator of success, or status, or quote unquote "you made it," was money. That's it. Money. There was nothing else that's changed. They're saying now, in this moment, what represents status and success is your physical shape after 40. That if you take care of yourself and you're living well in a healthy space, that is actually considered a form of wealth. Correct. That people perceive, okay, these these more active lifestyle-type people as highly successful, having nothing to do with financial resources. It's simply that you are the master of your domain. You are the person that is in charge, completely in charge of yourself, your body, your temple, let's call it. And Mm -hmm. that is something that is considered almost like a status symbol now. Like, wow, he's over 40, he's in great shape, takes care of himself. This has become a form of status. We're in the 80s, you could be a fat slob and as long as you had money. Have money, that's
1: what matters. You were somebody,
0: you know? Which is bizarre now when you think about it. Um, The other thing I was gonna ask you about is I know you were at the uh, Amputee Coalition Convention and- you did, uh, you did like a, like a unit there. Can you tell me more about what that was? I was at the coalition and unfortunately we never bumped in. Uh, we never bumped into each other at the convention. Um, so tell me about what you were doing there. I want to learn more about that.
1: Well, I, I, uh, about 11 years ago, I was invited to teach swimming for OPAF. and, uh, Ever since uh, I've been you know, helping them out, and um, about uh, six years ago, I was invited to be the National director for Swimming. And I took that with all my heart. You know I love to teach uh, uh, swimming, especially for new amputees. And uh, one thing that I love the most is not to make someone swim faster, It's to make someone who just lost their legs especially a girl, especially a woman, to get back into the water. It has nothing to do to get into the water and swim, but has to do of taking that prosthetic leg and walking or hopping or jumping from that chair to the water. For that woman or for that person, just to be able to show to everyone around that I don't have a piece of me, but I can still do it in sport, it's priceless. Okay. So at the uh, Amputation Coalition, uh, we had three clinics. You know, we, we always do have three clinics with uh, AC, and uh, it, it's been always amazing. And um, the past month, I was uh, uh, elected the president of OPAF. So I'm the new president starting... I'm the president elected, but I'll be the new president uh, working, starting uh, December 1st.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. We have our president now, Travis Young, who did an amazing job keeping OPAF alive. And my goal now is to bring everything together and really work in the sense that this cannot end. And again, we are not here to make Michael Phelps in two hours. We are here to make sure that every single amputee who is not an athlete can get into the water, can swim, and you can have a healthy life by doing that. And that's the main goal that we have.
0: Yeah. So how would you prefer, given given that piece, everything that you represent in the athletic space and what you offer the community, uh, even through um you know the organization that you work for now. How, how do you prefer other amputees or families of amputees reach out to you?
1: I, I'm an open book, as you know. I, I show everything on my on my on my uh, on my social media. Everyone, there was not one single person that reached out to me that I don't reply. Okay. Okay. So,
0: so DMs uh, okay. That that's that's pretty direct line to you is just to send you something in messenger
1: in messenger you know uh you know search me on on the on a, on a uh, instagram i'm always open for everything i'm here to help you out with anything that you need always you know and, and, and just want to go go back to something very quick here, sure. if, if you don't mind is that um you're talking about age and uh i really want to touch as much as i can on that if you see some pictures of me on Instagram or Facebook, I don't have my shirt on. Most of them, I, I'm showing who I am right now. The reason for that is not because I want to show my body. I want to show that everybody's, everyone can do whatever they want to do. It. If you go back to the same Facebook, to the same Instagram, two years ago when I decided to, to do that, you're going to see that I was about 25 pounds heavier than what I am now. So right now, I am proud of what I am, what I became training. And that's exactly what I pass to everybody. In swimming, in biking, and running. Anyone can do whatever they want. Amputee or not, it's up to you. Just put in your mind and be consistent in what you're doing. And that's what mattered the most.
0: Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, for for you to be uh, that vulnerable in, in these... You know, very very kind of transparent spaces on social media to, um, you know, give that to the community and to represent something that's very transparent um, is, is fantastic. And I appreciate it. And I certainly am one of those people that gravitates to someone like yourself when I see someone thriving in this space. Not not only talking the talk, but walking the walk as well. And in your case, you know, biking and running and swimming and uh, doing all of the things that i that are on my own radar. Um, I'm an avid cyclist, uh, but I but I have not made the transition into actually running in a prosthesis. so that's that's a big goal of mine for 24 um is to be able to jog around my neighborhood and who knows from there but when I do talk to people like you Mabio and I hear your story and I share that energy that's when I realize anything is possible that's when it all becomes and, real
1: and when you're going to do your first race invite me I want to be there with you
0: <laughs> I appreciate that I appreciate that no, it's it's fantastic to meet you. Um, I appreciate you taking time, obviously, out of your workday to visit and share your story some more, because people are curious. They see pictures, you know. They see postings. They see what maybe we project as this sort of like identity on social media. But to be able to hear your voice and to hear a little bit more about your story and who you are as a human being um, makes it all that much better. So thank you so much for being here today. And, um, I'm hoping that we will, uh, bump into each other, maybe at the next convention, who knows, um, we're actually going to be, uh, uh, doing a strategic partnership with the amputee coalition. We're going to, uh, develop some content with them together, um, procure some guests together and jump on some topics together. And we're also going to be. Um, this is kind of a first. I, I really haven't told anyone this. We're we're also going to be uh, holding some interviews at the convention uh, in Atlanta, so that we can do some let's call it at the show episodes, and that way some of some of our community that either cannot travel get to the the conference um, can have some episodes that will give them a sort of a lens to look through and to see what that's all about. So uh, obviously lots of good things coming. And again, Mabio Costa, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to meet you. And um, my name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up 211 podcast, and we will see you next time. I want to wish everyone health and happiness.